city. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Okay. All right. So we've got the privilege today of hearing from one of my best friends, Mr. Gareth Dix. And Gareth has agreed kindly to come up and share with us today. He's in between roles in the Church of England, and so we get the blessing of that. So why don't you welcome Gareth as he comes up to share, and we'll get him ready. And I'll just pray for you as well. There we go. Okay. And when I asked Gareth to come, I asked if he could share a word on revival. And this is a series that Emmanuel Kapofu started a few weeks ago, if you were here. And this really is part of the heart journey that I want for us to go on as a church. We, we as a church from the off have been a church that's wanted to bring the word of God back into the discussion in charismatic church. We are a charismatic church. We believe in the gifts of the spirit for today. But equally, we do see so much lack of the preaching of the word of God in those churches. And that was something we felt we wanted to address. But equally on my heart, it's just been a thing of... I don't want to lose sight of the more of God. I don't want to lose sight of the fact that we've seen revivals in this nation before. And I don't want to live as though that's not possible again. And so we wanted to also lean into the more of God. And that's why we're doing this series on revival. So I'm so, so pumped that Gareth decided to come and share with us. So I'm going to stretch your hands out towards him. Uh, let's pray for him. And then please get ready to, to welcome the word of the Lord today through him. Father God, we are so thankful for your word to us, Lord God. We are thankful, Lord, that you speak to us infallibly and mightily through your word, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we arrive at this place in the service, we want to realize this is every bit much as worship as when we were singing songs earlier. This is worship when we listen to your word. And so, God, we pray you would speak powerfully through your servant Gareth to us today. May you fill him afresh with your Holy Spirit. May your word go forth today and bear a harvest in every heart in this place. Lord, may we become more hungry for a move of God in our days because of what we heard today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, Pastor Graham, and it's, it's so lovely to be with you all here this afternoon. So as Graham mentioned, my name is Gareth, I'm an, a minister in the Church of England, and uh, at the moment just exploring what God has for me next to do. But it's great to be with you all today, and I really particularly loved the fact that we were praying for the nation and, and for the, our future Prime Minister I, I don't know about you, but I just feel that, that strong longing for our, our nation to come back to God again. There's such a need of God in our nation. And I also believe that the church needs to come back to God, needs to come back to her first love. And everything that's going wrong in our nation, I believe, can be traced to the fact that the church has stepped away and is not standing up for Christ. The church wants to be like the world and because worldliness has come into the church, the church has not stood apart and called the nation to account. It's such a tragic thing that's going on in our world. You know, an ordained friend of mine, and please pray for us in the Church of England because it's so challenging. There's so much compromise. And an ordained friend of mine said to me a while back, 
I don't even recognize uh, biblical Christianity in the modern church. I don't recognize biblical Christianity in, in the modern church. Such a tragic thing to say, and yet I really resonate with that. There's something really badly missing. And during the pandemic, I remember, I don't know about you, but it's like we had this extended sabbatical where, I don't know, I shared with Graham once on our, our podcast that we called together, together sometimes, that it felt a bit like kids that had been put in our room to think about our lives and, and all these different things. It felt like we were being made to think, and I found it really helpful. But you know, the one thing I really noticed during the pandemic is there was a real lack of repentance particularly in the church and particularly in the nation, but I saw that specifically in the church. I saw a lot of people wanting to return back to normal, but not return back to God. And that's the thing that I think God is really at the heart of this. God is wanting is for his church, his bride, to come back to him fully and wholeheartedly. There's that lack of repentance and often the Christ who is preached in many churches is not the biblical Christ, the one who calls us to repent and follow him and pick up our cross daily and follow after him. So I believe there's a lot that's wrong. And, and before we open the word together and, and look at that more, I just want to briefly look at the problem itself before we come to look at, at revival and how we posture ourselves for revival. To think about the problem. Why is the church so lukewarm? Why are there so many dead, moribund churches around? And I'll say the first problem is quite simply not preaching the gospel in churches on a Sunday. You can trace it down to not preaching the clear biblical gospel on a Sunday. And by the way, this is not something that's just happened suddenly. This has been happening over some time. But recently, I was just thinking about John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, that famous book. You may have read it or seen it as a, as a, a film or whatever. But there's a moment in that film, where Chris, sorry, in, in the book, when Christian and Hopeful are walking along the road that leads to the celestial city. And the road becomes hard and bumpy. And they think, oh, this, is, this is too much like hard work. I know, let's get on to that, that, uh, that path that run, runs alongside, that looks more attractive, that, that path which is known in the story as Bypass Meadow. And, and there's a man walking down that, that meadow, that path called Vain Confidence, and they, they follow after Vain Confidence walking down Bypass Meadow. But that road, which was walking seemingly alongside the path that led to the celestial city, starts to drift and drift and drift. I always think that in, in Hebrews 2 verse 1 where, where the writer says, let us be very careful to, to not forget what we have heard lest we drift away from it. And they drifted and before they knew it's night and it's raining and the giant called despair has locked them up in Doubting Castle. And in many ways I think that's a picture of what's happened in the modern church. We've taken the scenic route, we've drifted away from the path that leads to eternal life. And we found ourselves somewhere very different. In fact, during the pandemic, I'd say many people ended up in Doubting Castle with no one to help them. We see how many people have drifted away from churches. Churches have been decimated in their attendances. Many churches now have lost about uh, at least a third, maybe even a half of their congregation. Something is really badly going on. And there's this sanitized 
version of the gospel. Very few people now, if you ask them why Jesus died, they couldn't tell you. And very few people don't even know what the gospel is. And as a minister myself, you know, I've found that whenever I've preached the gospel in churches, quite often people are offended by it. They don't like it when you preach the gospel. And you might think, why is that? Why would you be offended or ashamed of the gospel? I just want to read from Romans 1 verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why would you be ashamed of the gospel? It's the power of God for salvation. So why would you be ashamed of it? Why would you not want to preach it? Why would it offend you? Why would that be a problem? But but read on, verse 17. For in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You see, that's the problem. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed and we don't think we need it because we're self-righteous as a, as a culture. We are self-righteous. We don't like to have the light of the righteousness of God shown to us. I mean, none of us like to have our flaws exposed. I know I don't. We'd much rather people tell us how great we are. But when we're confronted with all which is, which is wrong in us, it's, it's painful and it hurts. And when, when we recognize that our righteousness isn't enough and that we fall so far short of the glory of God. That is an unpopular message. People don't want to hear it. That's why it's been airbrushed out of so many churches. It's offensive. It puts people off. We don't like being exposed for who we really are deep down. The righteousness of God exposes our complete lack of righteousness our sinfulness and our moral failure before God. It exposes us that a self-righteous person hates to be told that. You know, I've lost count the number of times I've been preaching in a church and someone comes up to me afterwards and they say, Gareth, I love uh, your heart for the lost. I love your evangelistic streak. And then they go on to say, have you thought about being a prison chaplain? You know, because why don't you tell all those naughty men in the prison to repent? You don't need to tell me to repent. I've been coming to this church for 50 years. I'm I'm fine. It exposes that which is wrong in us, doesn't it? And the self-righteous person doesn't like to be confronted with that. So the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by the imputed righteousness of God through faith in the atoning death of Christ on the cross in our place, dying on our behalf as our substitute. But the self-righteous person will live by a misplaced confidence in their own good works. So the gospel often isn't being preached in church anymore because it upsets the self-righteous sensibility of the self-righteous person. And you know, all Satan has to do is just move the gospel out. If the gospel is the heart of our faith, it's what we believe, all Satan has to do is just remove the gospel and he's done his job. And sadly, we've fallen hook, line and sinker for it in so many places. But also, familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. I mentioned people saying to me, why don't you be a prison chaplain? Well, actually, I, when I was an ordinand, I spent a year in a prison chaplaincy. It was an amazing time. In fact, the chaplain there was leading a, a revival in that prison in, in Bristol, and he led revivals in Lewis and Belmarsh prisons. Saw amazing things going on. So many men coming to faith. 
Uh, throughout the week, even on a Sunday morning, you might see, I don't know, 40, 30, 40 men come forward to give their life to Christ. Throughout the week, you'd see people coming to, men coming to faith in the prison cells. But there's one thing that the prison chaplain told me that I've never forgotten. He said, the New Testament is new to them. The New Testament is new to them. Now put yourself in the place of a, of a prisoner in prison. That person has, has been, if you like, condemned by a judge or magistrate. They've been told, you've done a crime, you've done something wrong, and you're going to have to pay the punishment. You're going to have to take the justice of that punishment yourself. You're going to have to go to prison. And they know they're guilty, they know they're a bad person, they know they've failed and they've done wrong and they're heartily ashamed and some of them they've let their families down dreadfully and they're so ashamed. And you go and sit in a prison cell with them and say, you know, but Christ died in your place to offer you free forgiveness if you put your faith in him. And they look at you, really? Christ died for me? That I can be forgiven? They're amazed by it. I remember a time when I was in the prison chaplain once and... Uh, there was, a, there was a man there I was leading a Bible study, and these Bible studies would go all over the place. You know, they'd be asking all kinds of different questions. I'll never forget this one prisoner. He asked me a question. He said, look, I've got to say I feel really bad about that armed robbery I did. And I'll be honest, I've never heard that before or since in a Bible study situation. But I, he said, I feel so bad about that armed robbery. I really wish I hadn't done it. I said, but you know God can forgive you. And do you want to give your life to Christ and for him to forgive you? And he said, yes, I do. And after the Bible study, I prayed with him. And he surrendered his life to Christ. And I prayed for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and as he walked away, one of his cellmate walked up to him and said, how do you feel? I'll never forget what that prisoner said. He said, I feel like I've been washed clean. You see, in that moment, the sinless son of God became the armed robber. And the armed robber became the righteousness of God. That is, that is the gospel. That is the beauty of the gospel. And yet so often in churches we've heard the word of God preached time and time again. And somehow we become almost immune to it. And we're just thinking about the coffee afterwards. And, and in some ways I wonder if in the modern church we've kind of replaced fellowship with community. That there's that we've lost that hunger for God. And as we come into that place... You know, what about the spiritual temperature? What, what is the response to what we've heard? How have we met with God in that, in that service? And I think that is something that God really wants to challenge, that I think we'll recognize revival in the church when there's that desire to dwell in the presence of God. I don't want to go anywhere else. I just want to be with the Lord, with his people. I wonder, what would revival look like if it came to the church? Maybe you might imagine, and, and you, as you pray, what would revival look like here at Hope City Church? Particularly for me as an Anglican minister, I always imagine or dream about a time where instead of having all of these different service times, where you have like, you know, maybe four or five different services from eight in the morning, nine, eleven, five, whatever, the church door is just opened. People come into the church and at various points in the day you have ministry time and preaching, but people are just there because they want to be in the presence of God and thinking about what it is to come into the presence to long for God to, to have that heart that wants to meet with him and so just to, uh, to just a quote before we look at God's word Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts, puts revival like this I think it's a really good way of explaining it 
He explains revival like this. Revival, by definition, is first of all an enlivening, quickening, and awakening of lethargic, sleeping, almost moribund church members. Suddenly the power of the Spirit comes upon them and they are brought into a new and more profound awareness of the truths that they had previously held intellectually and perhaps at a deeper level too. They are humbled. They are convicted of sin. They are terrified at themselves. Many of them feel that they have never been Christians and they come to see the great salvation of God in all its glory and to feel its power. Then, as a result of their quickening and enlivening, they begin to pray. Why don't we just bow our heads before we come to look at God's word. I know we've, Pastor Graham's already prayed, but I just want to pray for us as we come to the word of God now. Holy Spirit, we do pray you would come in power now. That you bring us into this new and profound awareness of, of your truth that you'd melt our hearts for you. And Father, we pray, Lord, that we would be humbled and convicted of sin. We would long to, to meet with you in a deeper, more powerful way. We would see our salvation as so very, very precious. And Lord, we pray now, come Holy Spirit, just pray your fire in this place as we come to look at your words. May it cut right through to our hearts today. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you. We long for you to work in our hearts. We, we humble ourselves before you, Lord. And we pray, Lord, by your, by your spirit and by your word that you would move in our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read from Second Chronicles chapter 7. I'm going to read from... Verse 11 to verse 18. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locust to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father, saying, you shall not lack a man to rule Israel. This is God's word. Amen. And so just, to, just a quick overview in this passage. King Solomon has just f finished 
building the temple of the Lord. This is a huge moment. His father wanted to build a temple but didn't have the chance. God didn't allow him to because he'd shed too much blood. King Solomon has built the temple, this wonderful building. It's been consecrated with prayer and the offering of many sacrifices that were pleasing to God. And that night, the Lord appears to Solomon in a dream and warns him, as we see so many times through Israel's history, that the people of God would turn away from him into idolatry. And God warns Solomon that time would come where he would judge Israel for their disobedience and he would judge them with droughts and locusts and plagues, but they would also be willing to relent from sending judgment. God says these famous words to Solomon that if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive them their sin and heal their land. Now notice, first of all, this is directed at God's people, those who've been called by his name. That in those times in the Old Testament epoch where was the Jews and God had called them and they were his people. Nowadays, it's the remnant church. I want to emphasize that. It's not the established church. It's not people who go to church. It's those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, have surrendered to him, and who are born again. Those true believers, God's true people. And God refers to them as his people, that we are his people. And he calls us to humble ourselves, to pray and seek his presence and live lives that are marked with repentance and obedience. And I just want to look at three things today. Humbling ourselves, praying and seeking the face of God, seeking his presence, and repenting and turning away from wicked ways. And so first of all, the humbling. Humbling ourselves. God commands Israel to humble themselves. Now, if you read through the book of Chronicles, you'll see that there's a pattern that God calls his people to account that is also true for us as well. Firstly, Israel were in rebellion against God. They turned away from him. They'd gone into idolatry. They were confronted with the need for change. Having been confronted with the need for change, they responded to that confrontation by surrendering themselves back to God. And this humility and this repentance led to blessing from God. And time and time again throughout the book of Chronicles, we see this pattern emerging as uh, the kings of Israel and Judah, specifically the kings of Judah, by the way, because we see the kings of Israel don't repent, but the kings in Judah, there are some of them who do. The kings are confronted by the prophets who warn of defeat of their enemies and all kinds of things that God is going to bring upon them. And some of the kings in Judah took that rebuke and they humbled themselves. We see examples of Rehoboam, Manasseh, who, by the way, was a particularly evil king. It says that the streets flowed with blood of the slain. He even killed his own son as a, as a, as a sacrifice to, to, a, to a false god. Hezekiah and Josiah, these are kings who humbled themselves before God and they ceased to rebel against him. And this humility brought God's blessing and forgiveness on these kings instead of judgment. And we see in Israel that the people of God repeatedly rebelled against God. They repeatedly messed up. How often do we find ourselves messing up? And yet God keeps forgiving us. His forgiveness is endless. He brings us back. He's full of grace and compassion. 
when they responded to this call of humility and, and, and humbled themselves, they were shown forgiveness and blessing. And so as I said at the beginning, revival has to start with us. Those of us here, we are the people God wants to work with. And so we have to start firstly by humbling ourselves. And let me start by asking, in what areas of our lives are we in rebellion against God? What areas of our lives have we not fully surrendered to God? What are we holding back from him? What is God convicting you of? Well, let's put it another way. In Revelation 3 verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now let's just use that metaphor for a moment. Imagine your life is a house. Where is the Lord Jesus in relation to that house? Is he still standing outside, knocking outside the door? Or have you let him in? And let's say you've, you've let him in, he's in your house, but is he still standing in the doorway, in the, in, in the hallway? Or has he been invited in, into the lounge, you know, into the dining room, is it in, you know, into, or in the main rooms of the house? Is the Lord Jesus in the best chair in the lounge? Would he be okay with some of the things we're watching on television? What about in the dining room? Is the Lord Jesus sat at the head of the table? Is he very much involved in all of our family life? Is he the, kind of the, 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 the head of the house in that sense? So often we see nowadays where family is more important. Is Jesus the most important person in our family? What about in the study? What about our work dealings? Are we being honest in our work? In the bedroom, what about the purity and holiness and that, and that chasing after holiness and purity in our lives? Well, what about in the garage where we go? But also, what about the attic? Or you know, maybe the basement? You know, we all have that room, don't we, where we have a load of junk. I probably have about three rooms which is full of junk. But what about in our hearts, in our lives? Is there unforgiveness? Are there kind of secrets and things we're ashamed of? Are there things that we haven't really brought to, to Christ and asked him into and to, and to work in us? Are there areas in our life that we haven't fully surrendered to him? I'll never forget during the reading the account of in the Hebridean revival, there was this young boy who very famously said, oh, my, are my hands and my heart clean? Are my hands and my heart clean? Revival, when revivals happen, there's a real sense of, of, of the holiness of God and, and wanting to be holy ourselves, wanting to walk rightly with God. Now, I'll share with you a few weeks ago, I had a dream where God really convicted something in this dream. So in my dream, I was kind of like behaving really badly in this dream, like I was, you know, shouting with people, arguing, fighting in the dream. There's lots of episodes where I was just acting out anger in, in situations that you might find yourself in. And I, I woke up from this dream, and, and as you do, and you've dreamt something like that, you think, did, I, did, I, did that actually happen? I hope that didn't happen. <laughs> the police are outside, you know. Did I, or did I just dream that? I thought, oh, I think, yeah, I think I dreamt that. I thought, oh, phew, thank God. Yeah. That's awful. I would never do any of those things. And the Holy Spirit said, oh, but you'd think it, wouldn't you? You'd think it, wouldn't you? 
And the Holy Spirit just held a mirror up at me and went, this is what you're like, Gareth, deep down. You know, this is what you're like deep down. I know what you're like. I know what's in your heart. And that's what we need. We need the Lord to show us what we're like. God, help us. In all of our hearts, there's, there's anger, there's pride, there's lust, there's greed, there's unforgiveness, there's fear and unbelief. I love the story of the great sculptor Michelangelo, and he just recently done this amazing marble sculpture of, of David, the biblical character David. I'm sure you've seen pictures of it. It's an astonishing marble sculpture. And, and someone apparently went up to Michelangelo and asked him, how did you make that amazing sculpture? And Michelangelo turned to this man and said, oh, it's easy. I just cut away everything that wasn't David out of this block of marble. You know, as sim- it was just as simple as that. I just chopped away everything that wasn't David out of this block of marble. And yet, you know, sanctification is God cutting away every part of us that isn't Christ. And, you know, sometimes that chisel goes in at an angle and it goes in deep and it really hurts. And sometimes God does things in us that are painful. But he's wanting to work in us. He's wanting to refine us. He's wanting to mold us. He's wanting to make us more like his son. That's why it is a good thing God disciplines those who he loves. And if you're going through something painful in your life, as as I know we all do, be encouraged that God is refining you through it. He's working in it. God is at work in the mess. And he wants to take away from us everything that isn't Christ and, and turn us into more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And so having had that revealed to us, how do we respond to God? Will we humble ourselves and, and turn to him? Just a few challenges before we move on. Are we all in with God? Are we coming to attend every week? Hebrews 10, 25 says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. I think that's such a prophetic word for our time, because the day it's referring to is the Lord's return. And we could be a lot closer to that day than a lot of people think. But one thing's for sure, many people have neglected coming to worship. That's the first thing, we need to be committed to worshipping. Are we regularly giving of our tithes and offerings? I know life is getting difficult. I know the prices are going up for all sorts of things. But at the same time, how liberating is it to keep giving to God and giving back what's his anyway and saying, I'm not chained by the things of this world. Even though the prices go up, I'll still keep giving and being free in that. And giving of our time and, and, and serving here. God wants us to really be all in with him. Our, how we fellowship reveals everything about us. So firstly, it's humbling. Secondly, praying and seek his, his face. God calls us not just to pray, but to pray and seek after him. To pray with that deep sincerity and seek the presence of God. If we want to see revival, we are going to have to be people who really pray. You know, think about how, how small a group of people are praying in the church. How great a need there is to pray. And, and to really be on our knees. To be weeping, if you like, into the floor. I heard about David Brainard, the great revivalist. Would weep into the carpet. Would spend days just sobbing and crying. To 
call out to God and cry out to him. King Jehoshaphat, when Judah was surrounded, he cried out, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. When everything seems so helpless and hopeless in your life and in the world, get, on the, get into that place of prayer. Get into the prayer closet. King Hezekiah of Judah cried out to God to deliver them from the king of Assyria. God heard his prayer and delivered them. And even King Manasseh, that really evil king, when he was captured by the Assyrians, he repented and he cried out to God. Oh, how wouldn't we, wouldn't we just love to see people in wolves who, are, who, are, who have lived such bad lives, whose lives are a mess, who feel like Manasseh, they've done bad things, and yet they cry out to God and they, and they are forgiven. Would we not love to see God moving in so many different people's lives? God hears the, the cry of the hearts. He hears the the, the sincere prayer of his people. God always hears your prayer. He may not respond in the way you want him to, but he always hears your prayer. And it's more than just saying a prayer when you remember to. It's getting into that deep place of prayer with God. When we look in the New Testament, we see the Lord Jesus modeling this. Always going away to quiet places to pray and often right through the night. Have you ever had God wake you up in the night and, and you just feel like, I should be praying, but I just go back to sleep. I know I do. But I sometimes think maybe some of us, God's waking us in the night. And he's waking us up in the night for us to pray. You know, I remember when I was, I'd been praying for my granddad who was, who was lost and he didn't know the Lord. And I'd been praying for salvation. And I'd really been pouring my heart out to God for him. I remember one night I just woke up, God woke me in the night, and I just cried out, I was praying in the Spirit. And I didn't even know why am I praying in the Spirit, like three in the morning, whatever it was turned out my grandfather died around that time in the hospital you never know when God's waking you up in the night to say just get on your knees and you need to pray now there may be someone in real distress there may be someone you know who's in danger get on get on your knees pray when the Lord calls you to prayer these are dark times the apostle Paul in several of his letters he urges the faithful to pray and and urges us to pray pray in the spirit on all occasions we're at war right now pray on all occasions be devoted in prayer don't get out the habit of praying that's a dangerous thing. Once we get out of the habit of praying, we stop praying and we're in real spiritual danger. Cover everything with prayer. James reminds us that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Your prayers are powerful. Every single one of your prayers is powerful. Never lose sight of that. Don't believe the lie that your prayer isn't going to work. It is. Your prayer is powerful. Pray and pray in confidence. God is calling us in confidence to pray and to pray expecting him to act and to do powerful things, to pursue his presence in prayer. And in this pandemic where everything's going wrong, I believe God is bringing, it's it's like a siren, a klaxon calling his people, come back to pray. Having that God hunger, as as the psalmist says, as the deer pants for living streams, so pants my soul for you. Oh God, my soul first for God, for the living God. Having that longing for him. And also thinking about what we pray for is important as well. Do we pray for the deeper spiritual things or are we only ever praying for material things? Which, by the way, is absolutely perfectly fine to pray for material things. I do, all the time. But I think we need to be careful that when we're only praying for earthly concerns and not praying for deeper things, like, for example, I'm going through something difficult. Please, Lord, change my situation. That's a valid prayer. But I need to go on and say, Lord, please refine me and change me through this. 
Please make me more like your son. Please humble me and, and speak to me through this. It's when we get into the deeper place of seeking God's face that our prayers change and become more spiritual. They have to do with seeing God's heart. What is God saying to you? What is God, is God stopping you in your tracks because there's something he wants to show you? And you have to be stopped in your tracks to be able to see it. A good example of this is the prophet Habakkuk interceding and crying out to God for the wickedness of the nation. And he doesn't like the way, if you read through the, uh, the book of Habakkuk, it's only a short book. Habakkuk doesn't like the way God responds initially. I don't think that's fair that you're sending the Chaldeans in. But by the end of, uh, of the prophet, he's saying, Lord, whatever happens, I'll worship you. Whatever happens. For revival and awakening in the church, praying ceaselessly for the fellowship here, praying for those people who aren't here, those who are in trouble, for our community, those who don't know the Lord. Last of all, thirdly, repentance. The Lord says, if my people will turn from their wicked ways, there's a call on us as Christians to repent and turn away from sin and walk righteously. The Apostle Paul says the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he'll judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And you know, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that repentance and belief is only for non-Christians. Quite often we have this, we just kind of hear this, that the repenting and believing is for those who aren't Christians. But it's actually for everybody. God's called people everywhere to repent. Every one of us needs to repent and believe daily. That we are called to turn away from sin. Not just outward sin, but as I shared, the, the mirror that God holds up and shows us what we're really like. To repent of sin and, and to be accountable and want to change. And believe in the perfect righteousness of Christ's finished work on the cross for us. And not our own feeble attempts at righteousness. That our confidence is in him. And I believe that it's the lack of true deep repentance in the modern church that's really holding us back. And holding us back from God really pouring his spirit out on us. Going back to how when Israel turned back and surrendered to God, he, he blessed them. And I believe that when we repent fully and we bring our hearts to him fully, he'll pour out his spirit on us. He will do a wonderful thing. If my people will turn from their wicked ways, God is saying, take your relationship with me seriously. Do away with all of your pride. How hard it is to get rid of our pride, isn't it? But humbling ourselves, praying and seeking his face, and God promises, then I will hear from heaven. I will hear your prayers. He hears all of our prayers, but that sincere prayer of the heart pleases him most. That prayer which is a fragrant offering to him. That prayer that pleases him. May we be people that pray those prayers that are a fragrant offering to him. And I'll forgive their sin. The whole Bible is, is concerned with the sinner repenting and believing and receiving forgiveness from the Lord Jesus Christ. We often see, don't we, in the, in the Gospels when Jesus healed someone, he would say, your sins are forgiven. The healing of the soul is more important even than the healing of the body. And finally, God promises, and I'll heal their land. God promises his people that he will overturn the droughts and, and all the, the, the afflictions 
if his people would humble themselves, pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways. And so as I come to a close, the, the call today is clear. In our time of crisis that we're in, everything is going wrong around us. I believe God is calling us, all of us, myself included, to lament and grieve our own sin and the sin of the nation. To stand in that gap and, and pray and confess our own sin, but also the sins of the nation. I know I've been guilty of just seeing what's wrong in the nation and, and, and praying against those things, but forgetting what's wrong in me as well. And I believe this revival starts with us first, to humble ourselves and intercede for, for those around us. I believe that the role of the church is key in repenting and praying and, and asking the Lord to set us on fire again. I also believe in Romans where it says, Romans 10 verse 14, how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And the lost need to hear about Christ. And that we pray for them and we pray that they will come into this place. The unbelieving masses aren't going to cry out to God without a great move of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray for that move of the Spirit in our, in our town, around the city of Wolverhampton, that God would move people's hearts into this place. We desperately need a great awakening, but it has to start today with us. And I've spoken enough, so let's just bow our heads. I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit now. I'll just wait for the Holy Spirit to fill this, this, this place and to be with us as he already is, but just the Holy Spirit to meet with us where we currently are and to convict us to encourage us, to give us that hope that doesn't disappoint. Phil, maybe there's a word for someone here that you have a hope in Christ that doesn't disappoint. You've been disappointed in a lot of things. But the hope you have in Christ doesn't disappoint. will never let you down. see someone here, I believe it's got like a, a bit like a, a Pentecost flame on you, that the Holy Spirit is on you and just really wants to bless you and set you on fire for him. I believe there are three kind of people, the three groups of us here, or there's three particular things that I've mentioned that I'd love to pray for, and Pastor Graham, and maybe a few others, we would love to pray for you. And the first one is, I believe that maybe there's someone here who I mentioned earlier about about the um, the, sort of the, the, the Michelangelo, the, uh, the statue, and the chisel going in at an angle, and it just really hurts. And there's something you're going through that, that God's doing that's, that's humbling you and it's painful, but actually God wants to encourage you that he's doing something really profound in you and he's going to use you and bless you. And the humbling, the humiliation, maybe you were humiliated or something happened that you just feel you can't talk about. 
But actually, I'd love to pray for you that, uh, that you would know the, the, the peace and blessing of God in that. That humbling, that humiliation. You felt humiliated in that, whatever it might be. But God wants you to know that, that he's blessing you through it. And, and our, our humiliations actually unite us with Christ. So first person, uh, one of us, where that, that, that humbling, that humiliation has happened. Secondly, that there's, that maybe you're here and you just, you long for more of God, but you don't really know how. You feel empty and you want to be filled, almost like a glass that's empty and you're thirsty, but you don't know where to get the water from. And you, you, just, want, you just want that, just, oh, just fill me, Lord, and, and to overflowing. I want the Spirit anew, and just a, a fresh outpouring of the Spirit. And to, and to really know his, his love and power in your life. The third group, as it were, is, is that maybe there's some area of sin that you just, you're ashamed of. Maybe it's something you, you're trying to, trying to stop in your life and you keep messing up, you keep tripping up. You, you want to overcome this and it's become a real problem for you. But actually, today, I, I believe God wants to set you free from whatever that is and to know that you're forgiven and that you can walk away free from it. So if that is you in a moment, I'll just...